Uh, 1 Kings, the 18th chapter is what we're going to take a look at this morning. I want to point out verse 37. Uh, Kenny read this for us, but I want to point this out just uh, uh, once again as we get into our lesson this morning. Verse 37, it says, Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. That's where we're going, and that's where we've been going for a little while now. So let me bring this up. God is trying to turn a nation. And God is working in Elijah and through Elijah. And that's what we've been talking about for a while. And so this morning, there's three points I want to give consideration to. First of all, there's going to be this meeting between Elijah and the king Ahab. There's going to be a challenge that is placed at Mount Carmel. And then God is going to answer with fire. So I'll go ahead and put that first point up there. Elijah and Ahab. Now, let me back up for just a moment. Not too much, but just a little bit. 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, verse 37, and I just read that. The point is, Elijah is saying, he's praying, that these people may come to know that you are the true God. Now, the reason why I point that out is this. We've already had three previous lessons up to this point in time. The time frame that has been covered is from from 1 Kings, the 17th chapter, and now up to 1 Kings, the latter part of uh, chapter 18. The time frame in there is three and a half years. So we want to keep that in mind. So God calls Elijah. That was the first lesson that we talked about. Elijah, the man and his times. Elijah kind of explodes onto the scene in 1 Kings, the 17th chapter. And so we talked about Elijah and the kind of individual he was, that he's kind of bold and courageous, and he kind of calls him like he sees him, so to speak. But just because a person on their own is sort of bold and outspoken, it doesn't mean that they will be able to do God's work all on their own. And we have seen through the course of these studies that there comes a time when Elijah becomes discouraged and Elijah wants to give up and Elijah wants to run away. But God has been working with Elijah. And he's helped bringing him to this point where he can stand for him. So in that very first lesson, we talked about Elijah, the kind of person he is, and the situation, what's going on in the country at that time that they are following after Baal and they are worshiping him. And then the second lesson that we talked about was Elijah going to the brook Cherith. Because as soon as he delivered that message to Ahab, that there's not going to be any dew nor rain these years except at my word, then God told him, get out of town. Because <laughs> he knew people were going to be looking for him. And so he sends him to the brook Cherith. And while he's at that brook, God provides for him, sends the ravens to bring him food. He has the brook to drink from. But what he comes to understand is that serving God can be rewarding, but also it can be very challenging. And Elijah learned that when you serve the Lord, sometimes you may lose things that you once enjoyed. And then, from Brook Cherith, he sends him to Zarephath, which seems almost sort of contradictory. Because here's Elijah, he's God's prophet, 
And God tells him, I want you to go to Zarephath where this widow woman is going to provide for you. Now, it might seem like if that was the other way around, Elijah, I want you to go up to Zarephath where you can take care of this widow woman and her child. Elijah might say, I can see that. (laughs) But that's not what he said. I want you to go there because they, she, is going to take care of you. And so one of the points that we learned was, can you follow God when you don't understand? In your way of thinking, this doesn't make any sense. But God says this is what you're supposed to do. And while he is there, this is a poor woman. She has a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And how is she going to provide for Elijah when she has to feed herself and her child? And Elijah learns you've got to trust God one day at a time. And things go along pretty good for a little while until her son dies. And then she's not pleased with Elijah. But Elijah prays to God and pleads for this young boy's life. And God restores his life. And the point that we made from that was as he returned that child to her mother, can you take the heat and still give God the credit? And so Elijah passed that test. And all the while, God has been preparing him for what's going to take place now in chapter 18. There's going to be a showdown on Mount Carmel. And God has been working in Elijah. He's been working through Elijah. And the goal, 1 Kings chapter 18 and verse 37, I want to turn this nation away from worshiping Baal and turn them back to worshiping God. So now let's pick up 1 Kings, the 18th chapter, and verses 1 and 2. And it came to pass after many days. That many days there, that's over three years. <laughs> and it came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, Go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So Elijah went to present himself to Ahab, and there was a severe famine in Samaria. Severe. Famine. Drought. In Israel. Samaria. Now think about that for just a moment. Last summer, if you recalled, and I can't tell you exactly how long, I think it was three weeks or so. We didn't get any rain. My yard looked terrible. (laughs) Three weeks. Grass is drying up, dying. And around the sidewalks, the ground is shrinking back from it. And on the news, they're telling you you ought to go out and get your water hose and water around your foundation because it might crack. Three weeks. It's been three years. So what do you think it's like when Elijah's coming back to the area of Samaria. It hasn't rained. There has been no dew. Now let me give you this illustration too. In the last couple of years, we've had this pandemic, right? And one of the things that we oftentimes talk about, hear about, 
is that there's this interruption of the supply chain, right? You go to the store or you want to build a house or you go buy lumber or you want to buy groceries and you go there and the shelf is empty or it's like, well, there's been an interruption in the supply chain. What do you think a three-year drought does to the supply chain in Israel? (laughs) We don't have water. We don't have grass. The livestock are dying. And Elijah comes back to this area. And can you imagine what it looks like now? (laughs) The grass is dead. The leaves have fallen off the trees. And there's livestock. See, ever see skinny cows <laughs> when they haven't eaten? And in fact, a little bit later on in this same chapter, Ahab and Obadiah, a servant of his, while they've been out looking for Elijah, Ahab also says that we're going looking for water and for grass so that the livestock won't die. This is severe famine is what he's talking about. And God is trying to get this nation's attention. And so now, God tells Elijah, go show yourself to Ahab. It's been over three years, three and a half years. Maybe we've gotten the king's attention by now. And so, Elijah heads for that area. And when he gets close, he sees Obadiah. And Obadiah is thrilled to see him. And Elijah tells Obadiah, go tell your master that I am here. And you know what Obadiah says? Uh oh. <laughs> I ain't going to go tell Ahab. Why not? Because he has searched everywhere for you. And if I go tell him, I know where you are, and you happen to disappear before we can get back, you know what he will do to me? He'll kill me. And so Elijah tells him, no. I want to see him. I need to talk to him. And so, the meeting is arranged. Verse 14. 1 Kings 18 and verse 14. And now you say, this is Obadiah. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here, he will kill me. Then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and followed the Baals. O Ahab has been looking for Elijah. And the reason why is because Ahab and his wife Jezebel, they promote Baal worship. 
Baal is the God who blesses you. And now three years previous, Elijah had come and told him, God says, Jehovah says, there's not going to be any dew. There's not going to be any rain except at my word. So you know what that does? That looks that makes Ahab and Jezebel and Baal look really bad. So Ahab, oh yeah, he's been looking for Elijah. But see what should have happened? Is that should have made Ahab realize God is the one that's in control. And this Baal that you're promoting, he's no God at all. But after three years of drought, Ahab sees Elijah and he says, Is it you, O troubler of Israel? After all that time, do you think maybe he might ask, be asking Elijah, Would you... Pray to God for us that He might send rain. But instead, He's saying, this is your fault. There's an old saying. The same sun that melts butter hardens clay. And after all that time, instead of Ahab's heart being softened, He's hardened. You, Elijah, you're the problem. And so what's Elijah say? Oh, no. I'm not the problem. It's you and your fathers. And the reason is because you've worshipped the Baals. You're leading people away from God instead of towards it. Ahab <laughs> got a little music accompaniment. <laughs> Ahab, as king over Israel, one of his responsibilities was to know the law. And do you know what the law said about this? Deuteronomy eleven chapter about verse seventeen. God had warned them a long time ago. Be careful that you do not follow after other gods unless I shut up the heavens and there will be no rain. Ahab should have known that. God had warned them a long time ago. And yet now, when God shuts up the heavens, he wants to blame Elijah. And Elijah said, no, it's not me. It's you and your fathers, Ahab. And see, what has happened is Ahab, or Ahab is wanting to ignore what the real problem is. There's another old saying. You can't fix a problem until you identify the problem. And so that's what Elijah is doing, first of all. Ahab, we got to identify the problem. But secondly, Elijah is now going to state this challenge that is going to place, take place at Carmel. 
First Kings 18 chapter, once again, verse 18 and 19. And he answered and said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. You know what Elijah just did? You think it's me. I'm telling you, it's you. So you go get all your prophets of Baal and you get those prophets that eat at Jezebel's table. You know what Jezebel is? That's Ahab's wife. She was from Sidonia. They were the ones who worshipped Baal. And when Ahab, king over Israel, went and married this foreign princess, then they introduced that false worship and that false god to this nation. And so Elijah said, you go get her prophets too. Because Ahab, I know, you and your wife are in this together. And so we're going to settle this. Now, keeping in mind the purpose of this challenge is to eliminate Baal and these false prophets. Why is that? Because Ahab and Jezebel have been trying to eliminate God. See, it started off a long time ago when Jeroboam was first king over Israel. What he did is he set up a different place for worship in Bethel and Dan instead of down in Jerusalem. What he did is he introduced another priesthood. What he did was he introduced different feast days. And then he made these idols and he said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you out of Egypt. He changed the image. Changed the feast days. Changed the worship. But now, it has progressed. The northern tribes, the ten tribes, have had seven different kings by this time. Each one progressively worse. And now, Ahab and Jezebel, they don't want to change the image. They don't want to change the feast days. They don't want to change the place to worship. They want to change God's. It's eliminate Jehovah altogether. And now it's Baal. And so can you see why God has done this? He wants to turn this nation. But I want you to keep this in mind. God wants to save these people. God would like to save this king. And so he has sent Elijah. And he has sent this drought. And now there's going to be this showdown on Mount Carmel. So verse 20 and 21. 
So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together on Mount Carmel. And Elijah came to all the people and said, How long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him, not a word. You know what Elijah said? Quit fluctuating back and forth. If the Lord is God, then commit and follow. If Baal is God, then commit and follow. But make up your minds. Don't sway. Don't falter. Back and forth. And you know what's real interesting about what is stated there in verse 21? When he says, do not falter, or how long are you going to falter between the two? It's the very same word that is used down in verse 26. Now, I want you to look at verse 26. It says, so they took the bull. Now, this is the false prophets of Baal. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. So kind of get that in your mind if you can. So they're going to offer this sacrifice. False prophets to this false god. And the challenge is the one who is the true God. He will answer with fire from heaven and consume the sacrifice. And so the false prophets, they prepare the altar, their sacrifice, and then they begin to pray. And then they begin to jump around. And in verse 26 it says they leaped. That's the very same word that is used in verse 21 when Elijah asked Israel, how long will you falter between the two? Now, doesn't that make sense? We look at verse 26 and we say to ourselves, how silly is that? (laughs) They offered this sacrifice They start praying, and then they start leaping, and and we're looking at that, and we're going, that's a false God. There's not going to be anybody that's going to answer you, and it's just silly what you're doing, leaping around. And what Elijah is saying in verse 21, how long will you falter? How long will you leap around? How long will you jump back and forth between the two? You see the contrast? We look at these false prophets and we think, that's silly. And you know what Elijah's saying? That jumping back and forth, that's just silly. (laughs) Now let me ask you a question. Here's kind of like where the rubber meets the road, so to speak. Have you ever known anybody to do that? Do you believe in God? Yeah. Well, then we follow God for a little while. And then we don't. 
Do you believe in God? Yeah, I do. They follow God for a little while, and then they don't. And you jump back and forth. Ever know that happened? Yeah. And that's why Elijah said, how long are you going to do that? And the same words used down in verse 26. And so he's trying to get them to see. Don't sway back and forth. Make a commitment. And stick with it. Have you ever heard of someone that is easily swayed? Yeah. Now here's the point I want to make. Sometimes we think about blessings from God. And sometimes it's easy for our minds to go to physical things. I need a better job. Or I want a better house. Or I need a better car. Or I want a better car. And we think about those physical blessings. And so sometimes people begin to follow God in hopes that they might get there. And sometimes they do. <laughs> and then they go, oh, this is great. Until the next time they need another car or another job. And then it's like, wait a minute, he didn't answer this time. And then they sweat. But here's the point. If a person is committed to God, they can have peace with God. They can have forgiveness of their sins. They can have the hope of eternal life. And whether or not you have those physical blessings or not does not change that. Can we see that? There's a whole lot more to following God than that which is just physical. It's spiritual. And that's what they need to understand. And so Elijah asked them, and what do the people say? It says, they don't answer. So verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left the prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. Therefore, let them give us two bulls and let them choose one bull for themselves, cut it in pieces and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bull and lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. Then you call on the name of your gods and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, it is well spoken. I like that. They offer a sacrifice. We offer it. Elijah offers a sacrifice. They'll both call on their gods and the one that answers by fire, he's, he's God. And the people go, that's good. And so following that, what Elijah says is, you go, you go first. You choose the bull you want. You build your altar. You cut it up as you want. And then you call on your gods. Because when this is all over, I don't want any excuses. <laughs> you, you do it. And you go first. And so that's, that's what they do. Now verse 25. Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one bull for yourselves and prepare it first, for you are many, and call on the name of your God, but put no fire in it. So they took the bull which was given them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning even till noon, saying, O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice, and no one answered. 
Then they leaped about the altar which they had made. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he is meditating, or he is busy, or he is on a journey, or perhaps he is sleeping and must be awakened. So they cried aloud and cut themselves, as was their custom, with knives and lances until the blood gushed out on them. And when midday was past, they prophesied until the time of the evening offering, offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, and no one answered, and no one paid attention. So Elijah said, maybe he's busy. Maybe he's asleep. Maybe he's meditating. Maybe he's on a journey. You know why I think that took place like that? So that the people would have an opportunity to observe these prophets and their sacrifice and what all they do and how their God does not answer. Elijah wanted it on full display and God did too. So you can see how foolish this is to call on that God. He's not going to answer. And so at the end of this, their God doesn't look so godly. And their prophets don't look so holy. So Baal worship. Maybe it's not as beneficial as what they've been trying to say. So now verse 30. Then Elijah said to all the people, Come near to me. So all the people came near to him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones, according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. It's interesting what takes place there. Elijah calls all the people, come near. I want you to see this. And so he takes 12 stones. You know how many tribes Ahab was king over? Ten. Ten. But what Elijah is doing is he is saying, God, the God you serve, he's God over all the tribes. See, this nation had divided. But Elijah wanted them to remember God's God over all. All of these tribes. And then in verse 31 he says, According to the number of tribes the sons of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord came, saying, Israel shall be your name. You know when that took place? That took place way back in Genesis chapter 32. Jacob that guy that was that supplanter, remember when they were born and Esau came out first and Jacob came out holding on to his heel? <laughs> and he was called Jacob. He was that supplanter. He was that sort of deceiver. And that's the way his life went. 
And then in Genesis chapter 32, after all these years, and all the things that he had done, he was now going to meet his brother Esau, and his brother Esau years earlier had said, when I get the chance, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) And Jacob was worried about that. And it's on that occasion, remember when Jacob wrestled with that man all night to find out it was the angel of the Lord. And Jacob said, I won't let you go till you bless me. And what he was told was, your name will no longer be Jacob. Your name shall be Israel. You know what that means? That means one who wrestles with God or one who prevails with God. That's the better understanding. Because Jacob had finally come to that point where he knew he needed God. And do you know from that point on that Jacob's life changed? And it got better. So now do you see what Elijah is saying? And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Just like Jacob turned. And that's what he's saying. You turn. And things will be better. Verse 32 through verse 37. Then with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord and made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two seahs of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bull in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. Then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. He said, do it a third time. They did it a third time. So the water ran all around the altar and he also filled the trench with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and I am your servant and that you have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. Then fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and it licked up the water that was in the trench. Now when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. Three and a half years to get them to that point. The Lord, He is God. And so when you take a look at that, And you ask yourself, this challenge is made. These sacrifices are offered. What do you think thrilled Elijah the most when this took place? Do you think it's because the fire fell? That's what he asked for. (laughs) 
Sure glad that happened. They're going to seize these false prophets and put them to death. You think, Elijah is thrilled. Now we're rid of these false prophets. You know what I think of thrilled Elijah? It's when the people said, the Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. After all of this time, after all that He's been through, and now, these people finally declare, the Lord, He's God. Baalism was like a disease that had spread through this nation. And it created all kinds of problems for them. And what God was doing was trying to call them back to Him. A disease. False God, false prophets. And it spread through that nation. Let me ask you a question. Do you think America has a disease? I read an interesting article the other day. I think it's very pertinent. You ever heard of a guy by the name of George Soros? You think he's doing anything to poison this nation? But you know what the article said? which I found really interesting. It said in times gone by, people would think, you know what? If I want to pull the strings in American society, you know who I want to own? I want to own a senator. I can have a lot of influence. Get things done. It went on to say, you know what we're figuring out? Soros is further ahead of the game than what we thought. You want to change society? You know what you need? You need a school board member. You need a city councilman. You need a union leader. That's the nuts and bolts of society. That's where things happen. That's where you change it. You think the disease has spread? God wanted to turn a nation. That's what he'd been doing for three and a half years. Calling them back. That's what this nation nation needs. They need to be called back. Because that disease has spread all the way to the very fiber of our society. So God was using Elijah to convert these people. The divided allegiance was an offense to God. And people were being tempted to run with what was sort of popular at that time. 
And so they swayed back and forth. But it was becoming more and more Baal all the time. And so the time that Elijah spent at Cherith and the time that he spent at Zarephath, God was strengthening his prophet because he knew what was coming. But it's amazing when you look at this and you see what God can do through a single dedicated life and how he wanted to turn them. But in order for there to be a turning, there has to be a change of mind, there has to be a change of affections, and there has to be a change of conduct. That was the showdown on Mount Carmel. He changed their mind. That God that they've been promoting, that's a false God. He changed their affections. We've been deceived. That's no God at all. And he changed their conduct. Once they saw it, then they joined in with Elijah. And they executed those prophets, those false prophets. Now I'm going to conclude with this. Because we've been studying 1 Kings. And we're all the way through 1 Kings. And now we're into 2 Kings. 1 Kings 18 chapter. The showdown of Mount Carmel is a point in time. Where God has been working to turn this nation. And he has used this prophet to help turn them back to him. And at this point in time they say the Lord he is God. The Lord he is God. But the story doesn't stop there, does it? Because we've continued to study. And you know what happened with these people? It lasted for a little while and then there they go again. They're swayed again. So you look at that and you say, Larry, boy, you're kind of a joy killer, aren't you? I mean, there's this big victory on top of Mount Carmel. Let's just stop right there. Well, I'd like to. But that's not where the story stops. So you know what the point is? I believe it's just very simply this. Faith is not easily achieved. Faith is not easily maintained. And it's even more difficult to resurrect. So what's the lesson? Should we have faith? Yes. Should we encourage others to have faith? Yes. And should we encourage ourselves and others do not sway back and forth between God and the world or all those false gods that are out there? Absolutely. Should we maintain faith? Let me ask you this question. What are we doing this morning? <laughs> what do we do on Wednesdays when we come together and study God's Word? You achieve that faith, you maintain that faith. Because you know what happens when you lose it? It's extremely difficult to resurrect. God had to use a drought for over three years to get these people's attention and send Elijah as that prophet. I believe that's the lesson that we learn in 1 Kings. 
And so we look at this. And one other amazing point. Ahab, Jezebel have tried to lead these people away. And now they come to Mount Carmel and there's this showdown. And it should clearly be seen. God is the one true God, not Baal. But you know what God will do for Ahab in, in 1 Kings, the 20th chapter? He will save him from the Syrians. Can you believe that? <laughs> I'd have washed my hands with that guy. <laughs> but that's not God. He's amazing. He keeps trying to save people. <laughs> what a prophet. What a story. But most importantly, what a God. What a God. Well, I extend the invitation this morning to any and all that are here. If you've never rendered obedience unto the gospel of Jesus Christ, Jesus Himself is the one who said, He that believes and is baptized shall be saved. That's not my words, those are His. If you're a child of God and not been living as you should, Scripture tells us if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. And the blood of His Son cleanses us from all unrighteousness. If we can help you in any way, you let us know while together we stand, while we sing.